If you'll open up your Bibles with me to Genesis 21, verses 22 through 34, I'll begin reading. At this time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commanders of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I, don't, I do not know who has done these things. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of the men swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tumorisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Lord Jesus, the preacher's only hope is that when we are weak, you are strong. That's all I got. I thank you this morning, Lord, that that is all we need. In every situation where we are weak, you are strong. Reveal your strength this morning, Lord. I thank you that there is no part of your word that is accidental. No part of your word is more inspired than any other part. And so I pray today, Lord, that we would be willing to do the hard work necessary to mine the riches in this passage. That we might think your thoughts after you and glorify you in all that we do. Help us in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I want you to imagine a situation with me, church. Imagine that you're driving uh, toward the intersection, it's actually right down this way, of Woolridge Road and Charter Colony Parkway. So it's a four-way intersection. Imagine that the light above you turns yellow, and as you slow to a stop, you notice a 2019 Cadillac Escalade with platinum four-wheel drive trim right in front of you. And because you're a guy, you also know that the suggested retail price is $97,000 roughly. I was giving my wife a hard time when I mentioned this 
illustration to her. She goes, is that a good car or a bad car? <laughs> I love you. And I said, I'm going to explain. We don't all know these things, but it's a really nice car, okay? A really nice car. And, and as your eyes slowly take in uh, what, what I could only term a, a black beauty, because that's what this thing is, your, your mind flits through the normal set of questions, at least the questions I go through. Who's driving it? Where do they live? And what kind of job do they have in order to afford a car like that? Okay, that's, that's what goes through my mind. But then, of course, that actually assumes that it's, it's their car. It, it kind of looks like one of those gangster cars in the movies. Maybe Moneybags is in the back seat and his, and his bodyguard is driving. That would be cool. Maybe it's LeBron James. I don't know, but somebody important is in that car. I wonder what my wife would think if I pulled in the driveway with that car. That's what goes through my mind. But then you see it. The license plate. And it's a single word. And you know what it says? blessed. Interesting. Because immediately an entirely different set of questions flood my mind. Did someone else buy the car for them? I mean, blessed sounds like a religious word. Are are they trying to say that God gave them that car? Well, how come he didn't give me one of those? Does that mean I'm not blessed? Or does that mean that because they got the car and I'm driving a 20-year-old Buick, that they're more blessed than I am? I mean, I I could just go on, but but these are the the new set of questions, right? And, And then I think sometimes, a few seconds later for us, indignation... You know, how dare they say they're blessed and I'm not? Fades to sadness. Why? Because every Sunday the pastor goes on and on and on and on about how blessed all those Christians are. And you want to believe him. You've, you, you've tried for years to do things God's way. But it feels like you're going backward financially, not forward. It feels like the outstanding bills are growing, increasing, and the available pool of money to pay for them is shrinking and decreasing. Blessed am I. Interesting. If I'm supposed to be some sort of advertisement for what a blessed man looks like, God clearly needs a new marketing team. We think that. And I also think that that if you walked up to a random person at the Short Pump Mall and you asked them this afternoon, would you like God to bless you? What do you think they'd say? I, I think 99 plus percent of the people would say, absolutely. But, but what if you pressed further? What, what if you asked after that, okay, so what does the blessing of God actually look like? 
What's it look like? And, and is there a purpose driving God's blessing other than getting you behind the wheel of an Escalade? And if so, how does his blessing accomplish that purpose? Friends, those are the questions this passage answers. And if you're hearing those questions and looking at his passions and thinking, for real? <laughs> That's why I prayed earlier, Lord, help us to mine your word. Help us to slow down. Because the second half of Genesis 21 is all about God's blessing. And in particular, how God's blessing works itself out in Abraham's life. And in the process, Genesis 21 gives us just a little glimpse of how God intends for his blessing to work itself out in our lives today. Here's my goal in preaching this sermon, that by the end of it, when you hear someone say, or you say to someone else, God bless you, you will understand what you're actually praying for. Okay? So, I'm going to focus on three intended effects of God's blessing in Abraham's life in this passage. And try to help us understand why those same effects are what God is after through his blessing in us today. Okay? So here's the first one. What's the, what's the purpose, the divinely intended effect of the blessing of God? Purpose number one. The blessing of God makes much of God. Can't think of a better place to start. Okay? Background. Genesis 21 finds Abraham sojourning, wandering near the city of Gerar, okay? And as a nomadic shepherd, he has no formal land to his name, even though God has promised to give him a great inheritance. Okay, God has also promised to give him many offspring, many descendants, which is why what went down right before this passage in Genesis 21, where his son Isaac is born, is really exciting. Abraham's pastured his flocks in the lands around Gerar, this place where Abimelech is king, since the beginning of Genesis 20, where he had his first, shall we say, run-in with Abimelech. In a nutshell, if you're not familiar with that chapter, Abraham got really scared. He got really scared that Abimelech would kill him so he could marry his wife Sarah. So Abraham lied, he deceived, he said, she's my sister, and Sarah got in on the game and said, he's my brother, and it didn't do them a lick of good, <laughs> because it failed almost as soon as the plane was hatched, because Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife, which, in case you're wondering, must have meant she was a pretty good-looking 90-year-old. Food for thought. But God warned Abimelech in a dream that if he slept with Sarah, he was, as Josh reminded us several weeks ago when he preached this passage, pal, you are a dead man. You do that, you're a dead man. And Abimelech and his all servants understandably freaked out. That was the right response. <laughs> They confronted Abraham's deception and they got little more than a pile of excuses 
from the aging patriarch. And in the end, Abraham doesn't make out half bad. Which says a lot more about Abimelech's integrity than Abraham's. And he receives, as a testimony to the faithfulness of God to keep his promises, even in the midst of human sin and weakness, he receives his wife Sarah back, right? Along with a bunch of sheep, oxen, servants, and a thousand pieces of silver from Abimelech, validating, vindicating her purity. And Abimelech says, hey, Abraham, why don't you dwell in the lands around Gerar? So, So that background is important, not just because preachers start sermons with background, but because we need to know something going into this passage at the end of chapter 21. We need to know that this guy Abimelech has what what I'll call a front row seat on God's work in Abraham's life. God's given this man, who is a pagan king, seems to on some level fear the Lord, but what we know for sure is he has a front row seat on what's going down in Abraham's life. And I imagine the king didn't have to work hard to recognize something is going down in Abraham's life. I mean, there were a lot of nomads in that time. No doubt many nomads coming through Gerar. I, I, don't, I doubt the king had many dreams about other nomads where God says, you touch her, you're dead. I don't think there was a, I doubt that was a weekly experience. I also doubt that Abimelech has ever seen a 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife give birth to a baby boy. He had a front receipt on that too. So suffice it to say, it's not surprising, look at verse 22, When after he's seen the Lord deliver this man's wife, after he's seen God give him a a son through a 90-year-old woman, that he would say, look at verse 22, God is with you in all that you do. Why would he say that? It's because, friend, God's blessing was clearly visible in Abraham's life. So here's my question for you, Christian. Should you expect the blessing of God to be clearly visible in your life? Think about that. The entire word of God screams absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Why? Because that's been God's plan from the very beginning. Isaiah 61, 9. Let's listen to what the Lord promises about the redeemed people of God. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that what? They are an offspring that the Lord has blessed. And by the way, that's not just a promise to the the ethnic nation state of Israel under the Old Covenant. Okay? That is a promise to the people of God today 
Why do I say that? Because in Luke 4, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, identifying himself as the servant of the Lord who's going to bring all those promises in Isaiah 61 to pass through his power in the church. That's Jesus speaking, friend, in Isaiah 61. And the Apostle Peter recognizes this. He doubles down on this. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, listen. But you are, church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, now I want you to listen for something. Listen to the divinely intended effect of God's blessing. Listen. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Sounds a lot like Abraham. That's not an accident. To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may what? You can say it louder. See. They may see your good deeds. Visible. And glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, Peter is saying there several really important things that more often than not are completely twisted and misunderstood. So, I want you to listen very carefully to me because some of you, some of you were thinking, I should expect the blessing of God to be visible. I thought you were going to make the opposite point. If that's you, really pay attention here, okay? What's Peter saying here that we tend to get wrong? First, the summit, church, of all God's blessings is the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the summit, okay? Listen, if all you want from God... (laughs) is an escalade. Or if you think that health and wealth is as good as it gets, I'm here to tell you this morning, you need to think again. You need to think again. You need to let the, God, the word of God guide you in thinking again. Why? Because if you really want God to bless you, if you really want the Lord to, to pour out his loving kindness on your life, if you really want the favor of the Almighty to rule and reign supreme over all that you are and all that you do in a way that sets you apart as the object of God's fatherly affection, if you really want to be, in other words, blessed, if you want an assurance that God is for you and not against you, then then here's what you need to ask for and look for and thank God when you receive it. You know what it's called? Mercy. Mercy. It's the mercy of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, that is the blessing that visibly sets apart and marks out the people of God more than anything else. It's the mercy of God. What does Peter say? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what's his point, friend? If God has forgiven your sin, 
If God has crushed his son instead of crushing you, if God has lifted you up from the ashes of eternal damnation and set the robe of his righteousness upon you and welcomed you into his open arms, then guess what? You have received mercy. And that means you are eternally blessed. Eternally blessed. Abundantly, eternally blessed. What does Paul say in Ephesians 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, application. If you want to be blessed, friend, truly blessed, do not pray for health. Do not pray for wealth. Do not pray for a happy marriage, a secure retirement, compliant kids, or all kinds of other good things that are good. Pray for this. Pray for more of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Pray for that. I'm not saying those other things are bad. You shouldn't pray for that. I'm not not gonna install little wireless listening devices across the church and I caught you praying for health. Beep, no. I am saying your most frequent prayer. The prayer that should rise from your heart when you long for God to bless you should be this. Lord Jesus, show me your mercy. Kyrie eleison. Cry out for eyes of faith to see him as not only the best gift God could give you, but also as the gift he has already given you. Why? Because it's ultimately in Jesus that we come to know and experience what? Verse 22, God is with you in all that you do. Because he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. The summit of all God's blessings is the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? Second implication, this first point. Listen, the blessing of salvation through Christ reveals itself through the power of a transformed life. Think of it this way. What what is it that God has given you? What what is it that God has has worked in you? In in other words, what, what visible change does his blessing create in our lives in a way that makes his blessing visible to everybody around us such that people are compelled to conclude with Abimelech, God is with you in all that you do. What's what's that visible change look like? How's it play out? How's it go public? Well, Peter already told us, quote, abstain from the passions of your flesh, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's through your holiness, the power of a transformed life church, that the blessing of God, the mercy of God in Jesus Christ goes public, goes visible, okay? So listen to me. If you pull up in an escalator, with a license plate that reads, blessed, God is not going to get anyone's attention. That car will get their attention. The driver in that car may get their attention, 
but that is not going to make them move toward the Lord in wonder and awe. You know what will? It's when the entire office tears down your boss behind his back and you don't join in. It's when your husband mocks your faith in God and you courageously love him through your respectful conduct. It's when your child disowns you, spreads all kinds of lies about you, and you persevere in humbly seeking reconciliation. It's when the bills are piling up, the back pain won't go away, and you keep on serving the Lord like Floyd does on the Sunday band week after week. Explain that apart from the existence of an almighty God. You can't. You can't. That kind of transformed life is only possible through the blessing of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the only explanation for all those illustrations and a thousand more like them, okay? In other words, you don't have to have a baby at 90 years old for everybody around you to recognize, you know what, friend? I don't know what's going on here entirely, but God is with you in all that you do. God's blessing in Christ invariably, inevitably, unstoppably, it reveals itself in our lives, church, through the power of a transformed life. And Abimelech, whether he realizes it or not, he he suggests as much in verse 23. Look there. Okay? He urges Abraham to embrace the ethical implications of God's blessing. What does he say? Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Implication, therefore, swear to me here by God that you won't deal falsely with me or with my descendants. I mean, in fact, this is crazy. You could argue that Abimelech has a better understanding of the ethical implications of the blessing of God than Abraham does. After all, it was Abraham, not Abimelech, who dealt falsely, right? back in Genesis 20. And this time, in contrast, Abraham embraces the ethical implications of God's blessing. What does he say? Verse 24, look there with me, and Abraham said, game on, I will swear. The blessing of salvation through Christ reveals itself through the power of a transformed life. Here's the third sub-point under point one, the blessing of God makes much of God. The blessings of a transformed life are visible because they're missional. Okay? I told you we're going to have to think carefully. Let's review. All right? First, the summit of all God's blessings is what? The salvation that he has given us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two, that salvation produces what? Something visible, the power of a transformed life. Three, that transformed life has a point beyond saying, look at how cool and transformed I am. What's the point? To make much of God. It has a mission, okay? Why do we naturally want God's blessings? Be honest, okay? Why do we often want his blessing to show up in our lives? I think we often want it because we want God to bless us so that our lives can be comfortable, convenient, and feel secure. Let's have a prayer meeting. <laughs> I get that, friend. I struggle with that, but, but I have news for you. You cannot convince the God who made you to bow down and worship at the altar of your desires. 
he will not do it. Am I saying everything you want is bad? No. Am I saying that, am I saying that if you own an Escalade or you want to buy an Escalade, you should hide it in the garage and never drive it to Kingsway? No. Bring it so I can test drive it. <laughs> I am saying, listen, that in blessing us, God is after something, he is seeking something that is far greater, far bigger, and infinitely more glorious than making your life comfortable, convenient, or secure. That's what I'm saying. He's seeking, what's he seeking? It's not that, what's, what's he going after? He is seeking to make the glory of his splendor known in every corner of the universe. That's what he's after. Because God's not interested in making much of you. He's just not, okay? He loves you. He cares for you. He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. But he will not worship at the altar of your desires, friend. It's not the ultimate point of the universe. And therefore, that's not God's ultimate aim in in lavishing his blessing on you. Praying for the blessing of God is not like feeding coins into a vending machine. Mm, I'd like Fritos. Oh, come on. Are you jamming on me? More quarters. Pray more. I mean, are you listening? Dun, dun, dun. No. Praying for God's blessing, rightly understood, is asking God to, through the power of your transformed life, display his glory for all the world the purpose. That's the goal. And even Abimelech recognizes, on some level, this is what's amazing, that Abraham's blessings were not something that he rested or created through human ingenuity, right? They were something he received as a gift. They were were the fruit of God's active presence in his life. So he didn't say, Abraham, dude, you are a force to be reckoned with. How about we sign a non-aggression pact? No, what did he say? Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. And you know what's crazy? That God is with you included everything Abimelech had seen of all Abraham's sins and weaknesses thus far. God was still with him in all that he did. And in the way Abimelech honored Abraham, and the way he, he asked him, hey pal, sign a treaty pledging that you will show kindness to all my descendants. He is, whether you realize it or not, he's affirming the faithfulness of God to Abraham. Why? Because God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12, verse 2. Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when Abimelech says, hey Abraham, how about making a treaty? You know what he's functionally saying, whether he knows it or not? He's saying this, Abraham, God is clearly blessing you. How about let me get in on some of that? It was the goal of Abraham's life. The whole reason God blessed him. God God didn't bless Abraham to make him comfortable. You want proof of that? Read ahead to chapter 22. 
talk about it next Sunday, okay? God blessed Abraham so that the world would see the power of God through his life and that as they saw the power of God through his life and things going down in his life that they could only explain via the power of God, that they too would be drawn to ask questions and stand in grateful wonder and awe and say, Lord, who are you? I want to know you because I can't explain these people and the power of their transformed life apart from you. The blessings of God in Abraham's life were visible because they were missional. And God, friend, intends his visible blessings in your life to do the exact same thing. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, okay? So, so God is not at work seeking to change and transform your life so that the people around you say, cool, maybe if I go with God, I'll get the escalade. No, God is at work in you. God is changing you. God is enabling and empowering you, Christian, to honor him in the most difficult situations in a way that makes his power visible so that people don't say, hey, God, can you get me an escalade? But they say, Lord, can you change my heart? Can you take what I can't do, what I can't change, what, what I've been trying to fix through my own efforts for 50 years, and, and I, can't, I can't make it go down. I, I can't do what I want to do. I, I know what I ought to do. I can't do it. But they, but they are. Riddle me that, God. And lo and behold, that person, as you befriend them and care for them and love them and they start to trust you, they will ask you for a reason for the hope that is within you. That's how it works. I'm not contending here, friends, when I argue the blessings of God make much of God for some kind of passive share the gospel and if necessary use words. That's entirely unbiblical, and I will save that for another message. I am saying, I'm contending for the kind of humility that seeks God's blessings for God's sake and only wants to receive God's blessings if they will function in your life and in the life of everybody around you to turn everybody's eyes back to when people notice God's blessing in your life, don't say thanks. Say, can I connect the dots for you? Because there's no way I could be who I am apart from him. If someone says, Pastor, that was a good word today. Worship leader, you, you really ushered us into the presence of God. Parent, if someone says to you, you just, your kids are amazing. They listen to you. Wow. <laughs> Don't say thanks. I mean, do say thanks. <laughs> but connect the dots, okay? Be, be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Recognize in that moment when someone that doesn't know the Lord is seeing something in you, you have an opportunity to either let them put you on a pedestal or to, through your words of gratitude to King Jesus, remind them that they need him just as much as you do. Don't miss that. 
Don't, don't allow the Lord. He'll do what he wants. That's a bad way to say it. Don't find yourself in a situation where the praise coming your way for what can only be attributed to God's blessing in your life functionally ends up making much of you. Don't let that go down. Make the connection, okay? The blessing of God makes much of God. We lingered on that point, I think, for good reason. Here are the last two. We're going to go much faster here. Second, what's the second thing the blessing of God does? The blessing of God secures favor with man. It makes much of God, secures favor with man. So, a little more background. If you're a nomad wandering in the Negev like Abraham, there's something you want more than gold. It's called water. Water. Because without water, your flocks and herds die, all your wealth just keels over, and eventually you die. And, and the entire region around Gerar is largely arid. So what's that mean? That means you depend on digging wells for survival. And in case you didn't notice this, they weren't working with advanced computer simulated geological surveys prior to picking the location. It was more like, I don't know, how about here? By hand. Dig, dig. Where's the water table? I don't know. Abraham says keep digging. Dig, dig. You know, it was hard work to survive. You had no guarantee of success. And so when you found a reliable well, you protected it, you fought for it, you passed it down to your kids. So when Abimelech says, hey, Abraham, promise you'll deal kindly with me as I have dealt kindly with you. You know what Abraham goes in full honesty? He says, hey, Abimelech, come here for a sec. We've got to talk about that well. Let's talk about the well. Because evidently, Abraham's servants had dug it, but Abimelech's servants had, had seized it for themselves. So what does Abraham do? He confronts Abimelech, and Abimelech pleads his innocence in the matter, and, and Abraham appears to take him at his word, because in verse 27, he gives Abimelech sheep and oxen as a sign of his commitment, his covenant, to deal kindly with Abimelech and to his descendants. But then he sets apart these seven ewe or female lambs of the flock, and Abimelech's like, what's going on, Abraham? Verse 29, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And Abraham says, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Abimelech full integrity. Therefore, the place was called Beersheba, or the well of seven, or the well of the oath, because there both of them swore an oath, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Now, listen carefully here, friends. On one level, and this was my first thought reading this passage this week, good night, what am I going to preach from here? This just seems like another day in the life of ancient Near East negotiation. Well, I think something else is going on here. So listen carefully. How did Abraham treat Abimelech in Genesis 20 when he felt threatened by him? He lied. He deceived. He tried to, instead of trusting God to protect and bless him, he tried to secure blessing for himself through his own human ingenuity and cunning. That's what he did. It didn't work. It didn't work. And it jeopardized God's entire promise to bless his offspring through Sarah. I mean, it really didn't work, okay? Contrast that. How does Abraham treat Abimelech here when he feels mistreated by him, threatened by him? What does he do? He speaks truthfully. 
He speaks courageously, and he humbly contends for what is just and right. That's a contrast. And what happens as a result? Here, the Lord grants him a perpetual deed to the well of Beersheba. You know where Beersheba is? It is the southernmost point in the promised land that God eventually gave Israel. The land the Lord promised to give Abraham back in Genesis 13. So, so what's going on here? What's the difference between these two? Well, this time, Abraham walks in integrity. He expresses his trust in the Lord and the power of God's blessing by doing what is just and right, even in the midst of conflict. In other words, he trusts God to be his shield instead of trying to be his own shield. So so what does God do? He proves his faithfulness to Abraham once again by giving him favor with man. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? That doesn't mean, some of us need to hear this, that treating people with with honesty, courage, and humility is some kind of secret weapon that will force them to do whatever you want them to do. Or force God to make them do whatever you want them to do. Okay, Matthew, well, I went home this week and I tried this whole courage, honesty, and humility thing and they didn't change, so what's up? I didn't say it's some kind of secret weapon, okay? It's a proverb, a biblical principle. What I am saying is that in many cases, friends, especially in the midst of conflict, God gives us an opportunity to overcome evil with good. To overcome evil with good, and when you do that, whether you're working through something with a difficult family member, a relative, a co-worker, or someone in the church, God will often pour out blessing on you in the form of favor with man. He'll often do that. So, often in the midst of conflict, I don't think we trust the power of God's blessing in our lives. I think we try to manipulate the situation to our own advantage, no less than Abraham in Genesis 20 with Abimelech. But what happens when we trust God When we cling to the promise like Abimelech said of Abraham, the Lord is with us in all that we do. When we carry the promise that he is with us into the conflict, then what do we find? We find a wellspring of courage, a wellspring of humility, a wellspring of power to contend for what is just and right, confident that ultimately it's only God who can bring peace between us and our fellow man. Proverbs 3, verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So the blessing of God makes much of God. The blessing of God secures favor with man. We'll conclude with this. Purpose 3, the blessing of God, it leaves a legacy of praise. Okay, if you want a good way to summarize it, the blessing of God is missional. It advances God's renown. It's relational. It brings peace into our interactions with one another. And it's doxological. It's designed to produce grateful worship. So look at verse 33. What's going on here? No verses random. Remember that. Okay? So after Abimelech and his, his general leave, what's Abraham do? He plants a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. 
and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Think about that. Why did Abraham call the Lord, names are so significant, here, the everlasting God? Well, he did that, friends, because the treaty he just signed with Abimelech, and especially the well that he received for himself and his posterity, legally protected now, that was an enduring testimony to Abraham, the man of faith, that God, from past to future, was continuing to be faithful to him. That's why he, he praised the Lord as the everlasting God. He turns the sight of God's provision into the sight of worship. He doesn't let God's blessing come into his life and say, thanks, Lord, now can you fix this too? Like we so often do. He receives God's blessing. He says, Father, be praised once again. Church, God calls us to the same task. We need to take care to not forget all his benefits, to not move too quickly from God's blessing to the next problem. And here's why, okay? Here's why. It's because those who are able to trust God in the hardest challenges of life, including the challenge that Abraham is about to face in chapter 22, which is top off the charts. Those who are able to trust God in that moment, the really hard moment, are those who have been faithful to diligently stop and thank God for all of his smaller but no less miraculous blessings all along the way before the hard moment. You do that, you don't let a single small blessing pass by you without giving praise to God, and when you come up to the really, really hard test moment, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have wheel ruts, tracks of gratitude in your heart so that even when you can no longer visibly see the blessing of God and suffering is like a fog in your life, this you know, I know how to give praise to the Lord. I know how to trust my Lord. Why? Because I have seen his faithfulness and given him praise for his faithfulness every day till now. And all of that gives me confidence you are not about to change right now. That's how we do it, friends. Earlier this morning, we honored John and Jody, and rightly so. And Jody, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago, you told me that you tried to wake up every day and look for post-it notes. Do you remember that? If you're thinking, what is that? If you ask Jody, she'll tell you that a post-it note is a little glimpse of the kindness of God. A little glimpse. And Jody made it her goal to not let a day go by where she missed a post-it note. Friends, that's what I'm talking about with this. Don't let the little blessings go by without giving praise to God. Because the blessings of God are designed to make much of God, to grant us, secure for us favor with our fellow man, and ultimately to leave a legacy of praise. That's the purpose. It's better than an escalator. Why? Why? Because it's the decisive blessing of God on your life that will achieve the redemptive purpose of God for your life. That's the point. And so church, may those purposes, those divinely intended effects, may they keep us humble, may they make us hopeful, and may they sustain in us a song of praise.
And I, for one, can think of no better way to respond this morning than recognizing that we too are like Abraham, sojourners who are waiting for a homeland, and that as long as we are in exile, we need to be busy singing a loud song of praise. Let's pray and then do that. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for the way your word guides our expectations of your blessing. Thank you for loving us enough through your word to confront us where we have reduced your blessing to our comforts, our conveniences, or our securities. And thank you for using your word even today to reorient us to the the point of your blessings, the goal of your blessings. And so, Heavenly Father, we, we pray right now, given it is only your blessings that can achieve your redemptive purpose in our lives, we, we pray as your people right now, Lord, that as you pour out your blessing on us, that it would serve to make much of you. We pray that it would secure favor with men. Lord, you know every situation we long for that. And then we pray, even as we sing right now, that it would leave a legacy of praise and that we would not let a day go by where we don't just categorically say, I guess God was good in some way. I don't know today, so gee, thanks, Lord. Good night. But we slow down. We look to your word and we let your spirit say, hey, there's a post-it note. Tune our hearts to sing your praise. Amen.